What's up, y'all? This is John and Mike back for another episode of the Nothing Finer podcast. Once again, we are live on Millions as we will try our best to do each and every week for each and every episode. Things may come up and we can't live stream it, but we'll let you know. And tonight we are talking about all of the week one action and you probably guessed it. Yes, more realignment news because the ACC just wanted to make themselves involved again. Um, but before we get into all of that, how was your weekend and what are you drinking? Weekend was great. I mean, college football was back. I mean, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday about to kick off. Let's yes. fucking go. It's what I live for, man. How about you? It was a long, it was a long weekend. And I don't mean that about the game or college football. Um, but Friday after work, because I had to work Friday, um, Drove up to my sister's house to take my nephew and sister to the game. It was my nephew's first game, so that was really cool. Oh. Um, but finally got to sleep at around like 2. Um, and you have young kids, so you know how it is. Mm-hmm. I was woken by a flying five-year-old at 6.30 in the morning. Um, man, that's late. Shit, there you, you're lucky, man. Um, yeah, so then we drove up, I took my nephew to the dog walk, um, hung out for a little bit, went into the game, had a great time at the game itself, and then Sunday we woke up early yet again, um, and then had lunch with a friend, and then it took us five and a half hours to get home, because something between the game on Saturday, or I don't know what, but my stomach was trash, so we had to make multiple stops. Um, yeah. So that was that was it. But had a great time watching college football this weekend, and I've actually got it pulled up off to the side here to hopefully watch Duke beat Clemson because that would just put the icing on the cake for uh, for this weekend. Yeah, that would that would really put a damper on my ACC pick for sure. Because I, I mean, we'll get into it obviously, but uh, Florida State the way they uh, they. There's a lot of stuff that went into it, but the way they handled LSU um, made me question literally everything. So <laughs> we'll get into it. No, so I do want to talk about the new um, the new college game day song. I want to get your thoughts on it before I get into it. It, it not a fan. I mean, you know, Big and Rich coming to your city is a fucking classic. I mean, as far as like what that goes, I mean, it's been the song for what 14, 15 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's odd that they. I mean, I don't, obviously, I don't have a problem with Darius Rucker's. I I love his uh, his stuff and everything. The other the other two, you know, groups, musicians, and all that. Not like super super familiar with, but um, it's it's just odd that they had somebody that's older and more you know, um, you know, deeper into the music business cover a song. It's, it it is a little bit weird. Not a fan of it, but I mean, it it wasn't as bad as I had thought it was going to be so um overall i mean it's whatever i'm not going to get like you know amped or like, you know jacked over it or anything like that but it's not the same so i will say first and foremost the cadillac three is the third party that was involved in okay. in uh the new song i love their stuff they are, to me, one of the better, smaller, lesser-known uh, country groups out there. Still actually write their own songs about real things instead of 
what most modern country is. Um, but I, I hate that they took Big and Rich away from it for purely political reasons. Well, they were still in the, uh, the like the video for it though they i mean they were you know riding around in the whatever you know drop top they were in or whatever but it, it's they, they weren't they, can they weren't say open. that yeah um but since since and i don't you know i don't remember which one of the guys it is i think it's john big um mm-hmm. but ever since he started getting involved in politics college game day has moved away and away from that song and he's further involved in politics now and he's completely out of the song yeah, he uh I mean it it was the same thing with uh kind of like uh Hank Jr. for the most part with the uh, Monday Night Football song. Like they took him away, then they brought him back on, and then they took him away again. Um I mean politics aside, because I really I hate both sides, but like right. I mean if you if you were like completely on one side or another, but you know, not thinking for yourself, but it's just I don't know, it's not the same. No. It sucks. And first off. The two songs that Big and Rich got famous for are not even two of their top five best songs. Just gonna throw that out there. Ooh, wait, whoa. So so what's uh what's there then instead? Um oh good lord, I'd have to go back to their to their list of songs because actually I mean Save a Horse Ride a Cowboy is up there. Just just Okay. I mean, okay. Yeah. Fair, fair. So that's one of those. Um so I guess coming to your city, even though it's technically a big song, not that great. Yeah. So uh Lost in This Moment, phenomenal love song. Um I thought that was Lone Star. Are you sure? They covered it. Oh, okay. Yes. Um I'm going through the list of their songs now. Sorry. I mean John, I mean John definitely went through a bunch of like different stuff like solo uh besides you know the, the guy on the top hat, but yes, like said, not not exactly the same. I mean it you know it is what it is, but it's definitely it's disappointing in a way. I mean it's been because it's been a, such a part of our lives for the last like decade and a half that it's been something else. Um eighth of November is by far their best song. Okay. Yeah. By far. By far their best song. No one really knows about that. Um and then Soul Shaker. You know, as far as like if you want to get to the epitome of big and rich, that's what you're going for. Okay. I know you guys did not come in here for my uh big and rich hot takes, but back in the day, I actually went to like three of their concerts because I was such a big fan. Oh yeah. Um, didn't get to what I was drinking, and <laughs> I'm shocked the world here today. Nothing. No. Oh. It's not bourbon or rye. It is not produced in the United States of America. Crown? Do what? Crown? Not in North America. Oh, oh. So I am, and if we have anybody listening from Scotland, I apologize at the pronunciation of this. Brooke Laddie is is how I've been told to pronounce it. Um, But it's the classic Laddie because I do not like peated whiskey, but it's from um, the island of Isla, 
which is uh, about the size of Wilmington Island. Okay. And, and has like eight distilleries on it that all make peated scotch. And this is the singular bottle produced on that island that is not peated. So, okay. I mean, they, they mass produce them. It's not like I have the only bottle. Like, I'm not saying that. But like, this is the only type of scotch that's not peated that comes out of Isla, which, if you can see it, this is significantly lighter than what I'm normally drinking on. Well, so your shit's usually dark as hell. I think, yeah, this is 100 proof, so it's not even that high. Oh. But fun fact about how uh, whiskey barrels actually age things. The reason that whiskey in the U.S. specifically gets so dark is because as the barrels expand and contract with different hot and cold weather, the the whiskey gets into the wood of the barrel and then when it expands or when it contracts back out it squeezes the whiskey out of the barrel so that's what makes it dark especially if you get anything made in texas or the south it's going to be significantly darker because there's a lot more of the hot months but in scotland it's not near as hot so the whiskey doesn't get as dark doesn't jameson get some of their uh their barrels from like kentucky i could be totally wrong on that so a lot of Scotch and Irish um, whiskey distilleries get their barrels from the U.S. to get the color in there, but they mostly use new barrels, and then towards the end, they'll transfer them to some used barrels. Okay. Um, yeah, just a uh, just fun little whiskey nerd fact there. Okay. Um, We are... Super excited to bring you guys an offer from our new partner, and that is BetUS. Right now, if you go to the link in our bio or the post that I am going to pin in the Facebook group when we get done here, they are giving you a 125% bonus on top of 30 risk-free bets. Mike went four and two last week on his picks, and I went five and one. So not listening to us has proven to be losing money because, Ooh. I mean, if you just put $5 on six bets, you win five, you lose one. You're coming away with a lot more money than you walked up with. So go to that link in the bio or that pin post and start making money with us today. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to pull up the live line for the Clemson game just to tell you guys how much money you're losing out just to do it because I'll go ahead and tell you exactly what I would put my money on. Ooh. Okay. And the line is updating currently, but it doesn't matter the way this game is going for the uh, three drives that have, already taken place. Take Duke to cover because Clemson was 14 and a half point favorites. And Kate Klubnick has already thrown what should have been an interception and Duke was driving down the field. I mean, at the moment, Duke's in uh, plus territory. So yes. and it's, it's, in, uh, it's in Durham. So oh, shit. whatever it is, take Duke. Ooh, just, take, okay. just take Duke. So if you I mean, hear me like squeal at any point, it's probably because Duke did something that nobody expected them to do. 
Well, they're currently trying to go over, they're reviewing a potential fumble, but the, the clip they keep showing is the guy has the ball, gets on the ground, gets hit again, and the ball comes out. So I don't necessarily understand what they're reviewing here. Um, it's ACC refs. So who knows? Fair. Fair. Um, speaking of the ACC and just how fucking awful they are, the ACC has adopted two of the orphaned Pac-12 teams. They're taking Stanford and Cal, and they're also kidnapping SMU away from the American Athletic Conference. So this was talked about weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. And during the first vote, they were 11 and technically four because for some reason they let Notre Dame vote, even though they're not really a member of the conference. I don't really get it. That's a cuck move, but okay. It's the ACC. Uh, yeah. Is, is what it is. So they were one <laughs> vote short. They were one vote short of approving these teams moving to the conference. And NC State flipped from a no to a yes with Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina all voting no both times. The wildest thing to me about the agreement that the ACC came to with these new teams is that Cal and Stanford agreed to 30% of the broadcast revenue. Just that in itself is wild to me. You're for Well, I mean, the fact that SMU agreed to 0% um what until what 2032 31 32 yeah gee. okay so i i know they got you know that private money behind them and all that i mean obviously that was a, a thing with them with uh the pony express and all that stuff but that's insane i mean they were super desperate i i mean it, it it may prove to be a good investment if the acc you know continues to exist in the next decade or so but that's that's a decision. I mean, it's probably better than the AAC, but we'll see. I, I would assume whatever money you're getting from the AAC is better than 0% of the money from the ACC. Because yeah, I would assume that the same amount of people um, pay for the ACC network as pay for the Pac-12 network. I don't know. I get the ACC network. I definitely do not get the Pac-12. Oh. But it's not like you didn't say, hey – whoever you have for cable. I really want the ACC network. It was, Hey Mike, you're getting the ACC network. Yeah, it's, it's fair. I did not clamor for it. I did not write to my provider by any means. So it's so, just kind of, better. I will say that when I lived in Athens, gym, I used to go to, I love this gym. It was my favorite gym. Went at the same time every day, talking to the same people at the gym every day. 90% of the people that went in there lifted heavy shit or were old people on the treadmill. So it was awesome. It was awesome. Two of their TVs, for whatever reason, were on the ACC network 365 days a year. Okay. When I asked one day what happened, they somehow lost the remotes to those TVs (laughs) and none of the other remotes would work to change those channels. (laughs) 
So they were I just mean, on the ACC network. For the entire two years I went to this gym. That's got to be like the ACC uh, network's plan. It's like, okay, you know what? We're going to be profitable just in case <laughs> old people fucking lose the remote and they're just going to keep it on 24-7 for the next three fucking years. Love it. Yeah, it was it was interesting to say the least. But, yeah. you know, for a week, all they did at the time that I was at the gym for play uh, was was play – Georgia Tech's national championship run in the 90s. So I watched all of those games. Oh, wow. Who could forget? I certainly did until then. Couldn't tell you. They, what, they split a, well, then they split a national championship with Colorado, which is kind of timely now, but. (sighs) Colorado is timely now. Yeah, not, not Tech. Not what they did, but we'll talk about that later. Yes, we are actually going to get into some Georgia Tech talk here in a minute, but... Which I know all of you guys are waiting for. I'll let you start the Georgia game. I'll let you go all the way through it, give your thoughts, because I think I may actually surprise some people with, okay, uh, so with mine. I've calmed down a little bit since then, but let me let me talk about what I uh, kind of noted here. So, UT Martin... Just some trolling to get at the side of the way. But UT Martin's a real UT because they've won their conference more more times this millennium than UT Knoxville, which I'll talk about. I'll refer to them as that going forward. But uh, UT Martin, three times since 2006. Shout out Caleb for uh, that stat. Or Jamie. But uh, UT Knoxville, zero since then. Actually, their last uh, conference championship was 1998 because it feels like that. Um, Because it was. But... <laughs> the- the uh the the good part of it, I think, uh, you know, I mean, we may agree on this, maybe not. We'll see. But the uh, defense came to play for the most part, obviously uh, only allowing seven points. Um, even though UT Martin's uh, touchdown probably shouldn't have counted, and I okay, even look. What's that? So where we we weren't in our normal seats because we were sitting with my sister and my nephew. Mm-hmm. Where we were at was directly above that corner of the end zone. Oh, okay. I will say what you couldn't see from the camera is one, the ball came out when he hit the ground. Couldn't see it from the camera because his body was hiding it. 100% hit the ground. Mm -hmm. Everyone in that corner of the stadium was pissed. They called it a touchdown. Two, between the replays they showed in the stadium, which they showed a different couple looks in the stadium, and what they showed on TV, he did not have possession until his foot was out of bounds. That's exactly what I was saying. Because I mean, even with uh, whoever was with uh, Aaron Murray there, and I mean, Aaron to his credit, he's like, eh, I'm not so sure about it. I'm like, it didn't look like it at all. So I'm like, I'm sorry, no. I was surprised at, at like how long when, it took. When you catch it with one hand, and mm-hmm. there is literally a line on the football that when it hits your hand, you don't see it. But then when you bobble it, you see the line on the football. And then before you get control, your foot's out of bounds. And then on top of that, we could see, because obviously when when he landed, he hit the chain link fence right there Yeah, that didn't have hedges in front of it. The ball was pinned between his leg and the hedges until he went to get up, and then he picked it up. Yeah, it made... Or not the hedges, but the fence. Yeah. It was absolutely in zero way, shape, or form a touchdown, but I won't. We won't talk about that for too long. I'm curious. I mean, I'm. I don't know. I didn't really look into it until 
I mean, just now, and obviously, I'm still not looking into it, but I'm curious as to what refs they had for that because if it was if it was SEC refs, that definitely would not have been a touchdown. No, 0%. but no. Um, I do want to add one more thing, even though I just said I'm done talking about it. The coaches on UT Martin sideline literally turned around, stood on their like benches, and started yelling at the fans in the stadium. As the trash, like truly, you can just say UT has trashy fans and coaches, and I wouldn't know who you were talking about. Yeah, that, that's my last thing on that because that re- that really frustrated. Right, like you're me. talking, like I mean, they're talking shit at what? Were they at that point? They were down what? Thirty-eight. 40, yeah. Oh, was that forty-one? Yeah, like it. Yeah, that at that point, I mean, come on now. Oh. I mean, you're an FCS team. You're being, you're, I mean, at least you, you for part of the game, you kept it close against the uh, back-to-back reigning, defending national champions. But uh, yeah, I mean, come on now. I mean, you, you were going to lose, obviously. Um, okay. I do have one more thing to add, and then I promise I will stop talking. Go for it, man. The UT Martin offense was so unsure that it was a touchdown that they were already back on the field ready to take another snap. <sighs> Coaching one on one. I mean, if 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 I were at the, out there at that point, I'd be like, okay, don't even show any doubt <laughs> that y'all. So they weren't scored. they weren't completely where like the ball was going to be snapped from, but the field goal unit was completely on the sideline, and the offense was like between the numbers and the hash mark. You too, That's, man. I, I'm done. I don't want to harp on it for too long. Yeah, I mean. It's crazy because we're we're you know mad about giving up seven points. I was hoping for the shutout, but I mean we'll uh, we'll get into all that obviously. But um, so uh, let's start with the good part of that. So the defense, so the defense came to play uh, for the most part. Seven points allowed, at least you know for the starters and all that, and even I mean seven points were afterward. But uh, even though UT Martin's touchdown shouldn't have counted, which we elaborated on a little bit, but. The uh, defense only allowed 262 total yards, 128 through the air with a pick six uh, in the fourth quarter, which you'll probably talk about in a little bit. But with uh, 134 on the ground, uh, UT Martin's uh, defense or offense only converted two of 14 uh, attempts on third down. And honestly, Georgia's defensive plan was very vanilla. I mean, I mean, it's shell for the most part on both sides of the ball, really, but especially on defense. Um. And, like, the stats won't jump out at anybody at all. Uh, there's only four uh, tackles for loss um, on the defensive side of the ball for Georgia, and Michael Williams had one of the, had the only sack of the game. And the uh, first-team defense, they forced eight punts, which obviously is great, five three and outs, and held UT Martin to 14 first-half yards in the air. So, I mean, as, as bad as we felt in the first half, I mean, 14 yards in the air is really amazing, even regardless of the opponent that you're facing. It's a good job. Yeah, absolutely. So, my, as far as the defense goes, I was really happy with the game plan. One thing that I didn't like was the play-by-play, literally every single play, they were rotating five or six guys. And I know Georgia is a rotation-heavy defense, but when you're talking – 
rotating half of the defense out after one play, continuity and communication is borderline impossible, which is why you saw some of those snaps. Mm-hmm. UT Martin was running a gimmick offense to to put it, you know, as plainly as possible. There were multiple snaps where they would snap the ball and just dive at the defensive line's legs. Yeah. I don't I don't know if it was picked up that well or if you guys paid attention when you were watching it on TV, but I can tell you that every single person in the stadium was pissed about it. Because by definition of the rule, that's a chop block and should be a 15-yard penalty. But if I guess if all five offensive linemen just immediately dive at your feet, it's not a penalty. Um, that really pissed me off. And they were running a pseudo-triple option offense, which is, which is extremely difficult to defend, especially if you're not expecting it. Because UT Martin's offense last year had a quarterback that was in no way, shape, or form uh, good on his legs as far as, like, running the ball goes. So they essentially instituted an entirely new offensive game plan. And not only that, but very few UT Martin games are actually shown on television for the coaches to have tape on. So with all that being said, they came out in a base defense. They played really well. Um, I mean, even Dirty Dan got some time, and he made a lot of good plays. He played um, early too. So yeah, I was, so that's kind of surprised about it, but I mean, I'm I'm glad he did for sure. So that was when they when he played early. That was when they had their dime packages in with six defensive backs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of been his role since the 2021 season. Is when they take out the second linebacker, they put Dan in in his spot, and he's more of just a. Uh, He's really just a missile when they play dime defense. It yeah, is this, he's just a suicide bomber. somewhere close to the middle of the formation. And whenever you see the ball move, you go hit that guy. Yeah. Um, and he's phenomenal at that role. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, so this is, this is another part of your notes, but I'll take over for a second. So it's not just okay. you talking about it. Um, okay. Go ahead. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, I was. I mean, you can go for it if you want. All right. So, Taiki and Malachi are going to be a fucking problem. Um, and that's if they can stay healthy. I think now that Taiki is completely removed from his injury, that he is going to be fine. Um, they led the team in tackles. Malachi had eight. Taiki had six. And the third down package where they brought in. Xavier Sori, Jordan Hall, Michael Williams, and Jalen Walker for the defensive line, which is what <laughs> three defensive ends and uh and Jordan Hall, who is fast as a defensive end playing tackle. There that's gonna be that's gonna hurt a lot, a lot of people. Jordan mm-hmm. Hall, to be a true freshman, is a freak, and that is only intended to be a compliment. By all means. Shout out to uh to Caleb for pointing that out. I was like, I thought I saw that, but I wasn't like completely sure on that. So shout out Jamie. Yes. Our Jamie. Our Jamie. All right. I'll let you do all of the offense. We'll talk okay. about it here and there. We can do quarterback and play calling, but I think I'm gonna surprise some people with my thoughts on this stuff. So I'm not gonna go too far into my thoughts. 
Okay. All right. So uh, offense side of the ball. So, I mean, as much as most of us probably were, were doubting the uh, offense, especially in the first half, uh, they did have 559 yard, uh, total yards in this game, 400 passing, which we'll get into in a minute, but uh, hasn't happened a whole lot during the Kirby Smart era. But uh, amongst the three quarterbacks, uh, they had 40 yards passing. 159 rushing with Milton, uh, Kendall Milton having 53 yards, including a 37 yard run that was pretty nice. And uh, Roger Robinson, Robert Robinson, sorry, uh, ha- he had 50 yards on eight carries, which you know, yards per carry, pretty good, you know, time there. And he had a touchdown. I do want to stop but, you real quick. Okay. I think we should just go ahead and call Roderick the freight train. Okay. One, because his initials are RR Railroad. Okay. And he hits people harder than they hit him, and he's mm-hmm. running back. He's a lot like uh, like Zeus in that in that sense. Like, I mean, I yes. saw him. Oh, I mean, obviously he was number three out or zero out there, but like he he reminded me a lot of him. And I was for a you know hot second, I was confused for a little bit. Uh, who uh, who was out there? Obviously Zeus is with uh, Tennessee at this point at the uh, with the Titans, but. He, we'll we'll talk about we'll get into more of him later, but yes. Um, before I get into any more of that, are you are you worried about the running back room at all? As far as what uh what happened as far as the uh, the running game? So I'm not I'm not very concerned, but I'm not not concerned. And so yeah. the biggest thing for me as far as that goes is. UT Martin was playing up until they got hurt in the past game in the late second, early third quarter. They were playing. Um, sorry, my light over here just took a shit on me. Um, UT Martin was playing safety seven yards off the line of scrimmage, putting nine, somewhere between seven and nine defenders in the box at all times which is why early in the game you saw the only way Georgia had a run game was around the outside. But I, what I'm, what I am still concerned about is if at any point in this game, because I believe Dejan Edwards was dressed out, even though he's dealing with a little bit of an injury. If at any uh, yeah, point he was, during. He, he was there as a like auxiliary, like emergency running back at that point, if it had got squirrely, but yeah, he didn't have any uh, plays. In that game. Yeah. So if at some point in this game, the coaches had to think about we could really use Dejan Edwards right now. Yeah. Um, and he didn't come out there, which makes me think that he may be more injured than we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the style of defense that they were playing was we will let this new quarterback hurt us with his arm before we allow them to run crazy on us. And UT Martin's uh, coach, like head coach, has been there forever. So, I mean, he's obviously seen a bunch of shit, especially being in Tennessee, playing a bunch of SEC teams. Like, he's seen some stuff. So, like, it's not like you're playing somebody from, like, the fucking Mac or Mountain West or something like that, like, He's seen speed, seen the size, he's seen all that. Nothing's going to catch him off guard. Right. All right, so 
Um, all right, so we talked about that a little bit with the uh, running back room. So the uh, the dogs had pretty even splits amongst the, the uh, pass catchers. So uh, Bra- uh, Bowers had five catches for 77 yards with a rushing t- touchdown in the first quarter, first touchdown of the game. Uh, Makai uh, Muse had well, he really was a problem. We'll talk about him a little bit as well. But three catches, 75 yards, including a 54 yard touchdown, which he did most of the work on a screen. Which I mean, it was kind of similar to what. Rock Bowers would do with catching the screen and then running on the inside and kind of just splitting everybody and just, you know, free for all there. But uh, he, uh, Muse also showed the same kind of kick, uh, same kick return ability that he showed in the uh, GD game where he did have a kick return, even though it didn't count. Um, so four pass catchers overall had more than 50 yards, which is kind of on par with uh, what we talked about in the offseason, kind of previewing the team that we didn't think like not like, we didn't think one single pass catcher would, you know, dominate everything. I mean, I was a little bit more confident than you were on that, but I mean, at least if we're going by the first game, it's going to be pretty even across the board, which is probably even more dangerous than, you know, just focusing on one guy. But uh, go from there. Uh, Dominic Lovett had an up and down game for the most part. He had a couple of drops, but he also didn't have the best ball thrown his way, especially in the first half. Uh, which so the touchdown that he quote unquote dropped, mm-hmm. I I know you could I rewatched the game day. I know you couldn't see it on TV as well, but there was no one on his side of the field whatsoever, yeah. mm-hmm. and Carson saw it late. Yeah, because the line was set. He could have asked for the ball, gotten an easy touchdown. But Carson saw it late because he was trying to get the protection set up, which it's a quarterback thing. It is what it is. Yeah. But I don't – I know Aaron Murray and whoever else is calling the broadcast said it was a drop. But the guy that was covering him was at an all-out sprint from the middle of the field directly into Dominic Lovett's chest. Like there was no like, oh, I'm in standstill, I'm in coverage – it was right as soon as they saw that there was no one covering him was at an all-out sprint to that corner of the end zone and was probably close to 20 miles an hour when he got there to put hands on him. That was a hell of a play by, the, that by, by that defender, though, honestly, for him to get, get there in time. Yeah, I, I just – I don't know if anybody was going to catch that ball. Like, I don't – I don't, no, I don't no. Yeah, and that's – I don't necessarily think that's a drop. He did have others, but mm-hmm. – I don't and they may have categorized it at that point, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I I wasn't mad at him for for that drop. I mean, obviously, I wanted him to catch that ball, but like, I mean, realistically, that probably wasn't going to be a thing considering the uh, defender on that one. But talked about four uh, pass catchers having more than fifty yards. Talked about that. Um, but um, later on in the game, Ra Ra had he only had one catch, but he caught a fucking bomb from Brock for fifty six yards. Um, but he I mean, otherwise, really I well played. on a lot of run plays though. And I know that's not a. I know it's not a stat, mm-hmm. but Ra Ra coming from an air raid offense, the way he blocked in some of these run plays and screens, was some of the best that I saw out there on Saturday, and that's including Brock because Brock Bowers missed at least three blocks on screens Ooh. that would have allowed him to go for big yards, including the first play of the game. But that's so even even somebody that's the fucking Terminator can mess up sometimes. Yes. Okay. Hey, uh, well, I mean, we'll get into it later with, uh, with well, I mean, we're not going to talk about it today so much, but with Ball State, but I expect it to be a little bit more, you know, 
a little bit more, you know, not perfect, but well-rounded the next game. But we'll, you know, we'll get into that later on this week. But um, uh, freshman uh, wide receiver C.J. Smith also had two catches, 57 yards, which he wasn't used a whole lot last year. But, I mean, he played well um, in his uh, time given, considering all the people that we had out this game. But uh, Cash Jones. Who? Cash Jones. Who? Cash Jones. He he didn't do a whole lot on the ground, but um, he did catch four passes for 25 yards in uh, limited playing time, which... Which is exactly what we said he was going to do. Mm -hmm. Because that, I mean, he is not an in-between-the-tackles kind of guy, obviously. No, but I do think that if they were to use him on a couple stretch plays on the outside, it would have worked better for his skill set. He did have a few runs, like, off-tackle that were very good called back by pen or uh yeah called back by penalties so yeah because i think like rushing ways. rushing wise i don't i think he had two or three yards like it wasn't i mean obviously it wasn't a ton but like receiving threat he was obviously a bigger a bigger threat in uh in that sense but with uh georgia missing a few key key contributors so lad well obviously wasn't out there lawson lucky wasn't out there edwards wasn't out there jackson meeks uh wasn't out there so Marcus and Marcus Rosemead State was dressed but didn't play after he had a speeding arrest in the offseason. Was uh, he so, dressed? Did you see him on TV? I thought I thought he was. I mean, at the very least, he had a jersey on. So it may have been the same thing as as a lad. Like he had the jersey on, but maybe maybe he didn't have pads on. Because I so I tried to look for him on the mm-hmm. sideline while I was at the game. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's it's entirely possible that I missed him, but the only number one I saw was um, the corner green. Yeah, I, I really I, I I could have been mistaken on that as well. I thought he was dressed, but I mean, obviously he didn't have any snaps played. But I mean, he, he didn't show on the stat sheet at all either. So correct. We'll see. I mean, hopefully he'll play next week just to give uh, Carson a little bit more you know looks for Experience. you know what he'll. Yeah, for what he'll normally uh, have out there. But um, last little bit here about the offense besides the uh, quarterbacks and all that. So Georgia um, Georgia's going to pass around the number 77 amongst the uh, offensive line this season to honor Devin, Devin Willock. Um, I, I can't remember who so wore this. Did they say this if they're going to pass it around just the offensive line or if it's going to be going around the entire team? That's They, they said it was just like amongst the offensive line, but they – I mean – the uh, announcers, so like Aaron Murray and whoever was with him, did not have their best showing this yep. uh, this game. Mm-hmm. So it's it the is production tough to in say. general was. Yeah. They used some cameras from 2010. Yeah. Hey, I I was. If that is what we're gonna get in the transition between CBS and ESPN, I hate to say it, I'd almost rather have CBS. Praying for Gary. I'm not even talking about the commentary because I don't necessarily think Aaron did that poorly of a job. Especially considering he only brought up golf once, which for for football broadcasters is, I mean, he may get fired for not talking about golf every four minutes. We don't know. Yeah. Um, No, I didn't think he did that poorly of a job. I like just the production quality in general between – the cameras, the angles, the replays. I 
it's like they put their like C or D crew out there for this game. Well, which is disappointing. Yeah, I mean it. That makes sense. I mean, because obviously it wasn't on, you know, regular uh, broadcast TV or even like, you know, cable TV. I mean, it was streaming only with uh, ESPN Plus, SEC Plus, all that. So, yeah, they didn't they didn't put their you know A game behind that or B or probably C for that matter. Yeah, like that's uh, the broadcast uh, production was maybe slightly better than the referees. Um, and yeah, that's push. Yeah, I think it's push. Yeah, they put they put the slightly better crew on the uh, Alabama Middle Tennessee State game. Maybe, you know, I I feel like I should go back and watch that game, considering you know some people in sports media are saying that Jalen Milrow is apparently not the same person he used to be. Um, I mean, middle uh, for for all the shit that we talked about, uh, Texas uh, Texas A and M, they are better than Middle Tennessee State. I give them that. They are, um, and Middle Tennessee State is also bottom ten percent of the country in returning production from the team that beat Miami last year. But mm-hmm. is is what it is. <laughs> Never forget. <clears throat> all right. Are you ready to move on to play caller? Um, yeah, let's go. You want me All to right. do it, or you want to do it? Um, I'll do. I'll do a little bit. I'll do a little All bit. Right. All right. So everybody knows that we were both okay with Bobo Hire. It's not necessarily who we wanted if we had our pick of the entire country, but mm-hmm. it's not. It was nowhere close to the bottom of the list. Yeah. Um. But I will say that we were both with everyone else in the frustrations with first half play calling and especially upset that the first play from scrimmage was not um, an I formation run. I feel like it probably would have done better than the negative four yards the first play did get. Um, But as I said, Brock Bowers did miss a block on that guy. Um, So... Not entirely the play call there because if Brock would have blocked that guy, there was literally no one on the entire left side of the formation. So it probably would have been a big game. Mistakes happen, is what it is. Still won 48-7. But Carson Beck did look extremely uncomfortable for most of that first half. Mm -hmm. He missed very badly on a number of passes, and the running game struggled to be consistent early on. As I already talked about, with with the way that UT Martin loaded the box, brought their safety seven yards off the line of scrimmage, you're not you're not going to run between the tackles on that. It just kind of is what it is there. I think the offensive game plan should have adapted to that a little bit better than they did. But Carson did play a lot better towards the end of the first half, going into the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, And I feel like one thing that really needs to be talked about is that Carson Beck has not started a game since he was a senior in high school four years ago. So to expect him to expect him to come out and look like Stetson, to look like someone who's in Heisman contention in week one is unfair. Mm -hmm. And 
he did have almost 300 yards passing, two passing touchdowns. You know, if you look just purely at the stats, he had a good day. If you look just purely at the first half game tape, it wasn't great. But I really feel like it's somewhere in the middle. Judging by watching it in person, it's one of those things where it looked extremely uncomfortable. It looked like the game was moving too fast. I'm sure you guys all saw this on TV when you were watching it. But once once he figured it out, once he saw defensive formations that weren't, you know, the box loaded, then playing press coverage on the outside, he looked like closer to what we expected him to look like. And with like the running back room going forward, like, do you think he's going to face like a nine person box going forward? No, absolutely not. Yeah. I, I really think that with teams that expect to put up a fight. So in two weeks, we have South Carolina. First week of October, we have Auburn. I think those teams that expect to put up a fight, and I'm not saying anything bad about UT Martin, but it is an FCS program playing in Athens against the back-to-back national title winning team. Like I, I don't think they came in expecting to win. I think they got a moral victory based on how they played in the first half, how they how they got a touchdown, whether or not it was doesn't really matter because it shows it on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. But when you go against teams that are expecting to win, they do not under any circumstance want to give up those big passing plays that UT Martin ended up giving up. So I don't expect the boxes to be as heavy, especially when um, – Carson gets a little bit more comfortable and he's able to get more yards passing. It's kind of, it's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah. I mean, and and other people have said it as well, but I mean, Stetson was not Stetson in his first start, like not definitely not in 2020. Um, Oh, he didn't start that game against Arkansas, but I mean, he was not, you know, TCU Stetson at that point. So, I mean, you got to give him some time. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I mean, Stetson didn't look great for half of his starts in 2020. I mean, I mean, definitely. I mean, even the Florida game, it was it was tough, and obviously he got knocked out of that one. But it, it does take time, like, it, it to get some continuity, to get comfortable with everything. So I'm not mad. Yeah, I'm not either. I mean, at the end of the day, it's 48-7 win against mm-hmm. a team – that over the last few years has averaged 26.8 points per game, won their conference back-to-back years, and their only losses have come against teams that made the FCS semifinals. I mean, you can't be mad about that. Yeah, they're not not a bad team by any means. I mean, not obviously on Georgia's level, but they're they're not a bad team. No. Sorry, I'm... I got... I'm dealing with something through text here. Uh, you can keep oh, going. All, yeah, no, it's all good. So, um, obviously, after uh, uh, Carson got not benched, but like he, you know, he came out of that. Um, both, uh, both uh, Brock and uh, Gunner looked, you know, pretty good in their play and their time after they came in. Uh, Brock obviously had a touchdown pass to uh, Oscar Delp, which dime. I mean, he had also had another dime to uh, Ra Ra as well, but. 
Um, it's kind of got going from there. So what what were your uh, thoughts on Bobo's play calling? Because obviously that's a uh, topic of contention amongst the, the uh, fan base. So my biggest problem with the the way the quarterbacks were rotated is right when Carson was starting to click, right when everything was slowing down for him, right when plays were happening, they took him out. Yeah. I did not I did not like that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then the very first drive with Brock, I wish they would have kept the starting offensive line in, the same offensive line that had a single penalty on the day. Mm-hmm. Um just because the backup offensive line didn't communicate well, also had two back-to-back penalties negating decent gains on both of those plays. And then when Brock started to get comfortable, when he started to have, you know, big throws down the field, they pulled him and put Gunner in. Mm-hmm. And I also thought Gunner did really well. I, It's one of those things where I get that you're still trying to have a QB2 competition between Brock and Gunner. But if you were going to do that, have Brock start the third quarter, have Gunner start the fourth quarter. Like, give them 100% equal playing time and not have it where, you know, Carson comes in in the second half, it starts to click, and then Brock comes in with a few minutes left in the third quarter. He gets three drives. One of those was completely upended by penalties. One was phenomenal. Another one, the play calling was just off. And then Gunner comes in and looks just as good as Brock did. So you really didn't figure anything out because by Gunner's second drive, you were just trying to run clock. Yeah. I I really didn't like how they handled that part of it. And it is, I mean, it is definitely interesting when you're when you're thinking about it is kind of a comp, definitely a competition amongst I mean, trying to figure out your backup for sure, but if I mean, it, it's not necessarily solidified that it, you know who's going to be your starter, especially with the the way the uh, first half played out. But it, it definitely could have been better. But I mean, going into the South Carolina game, I mean, even next week with a uh, Ball State, we'll probably get a clearer uh, picture with that. Yeah, I I agree. I just and I'll go ahead and get into one of the things that I was going to say when I get uh, into all of my thoughts. I do not think that the team was complacent on Saturday in any way, shape, or form like Kirby had talked about at media days and through the offseason. The coaches were complacent. The play calling was bare minimum. They had six different plays they ran throughout the day, both offense and defense. They were complacent in thinking, oh, 17-0 going into the half. We'll just run a couple of drives with a starter and then put the backups in instead of trying to actually get a, you know, big, solid win. To me, the coaches were complacent in their play calling, the way they handled rotations, and that 100% goes back on Kirby and Bobo and Muschamp and Schumann on the way they didn't – I don't think that he stood up to the expectations they put on the team. No, it definitely left a definitely left a, a lot to be desired uh, from that. Obviously, they played better in the uh, the second half, but I mean, as you know, we can detest. Like at the end of the first half, we were both <laughs> ready to you know call for people's heads and things like that. But after you know, upon further review, 
it, I mean, it got better in the second half, but I mean, even going back to last year, I mean, talking about like the, uh, the Sanford game and Kent state and all that, like they're, you know, obviously they were favored to blow them out, you know, those two teams out, but it didn't, did not definitely did not happen that way. It's kind of just the, the MO at, at this point, at least the last, uh, you know, last year, and then probably going back a little bit further than that. So it, it is what it is. I mean, to expect them to, you know, win by, you know, 50 plus like the, you know, like Vegas and bet us had thought is probably a little bit unfair, but yes, because they are college kids. Yes, I agree. All right, so uh, a couple more things before we get into the uh, players of the game here. So uh, Georgia had, uh, four, um, for the, only the fourth time in the Kirby Smart era, had 400 yards passing, which, you know, in, in Bowa's first game, pretty impressive. I mean, it was spot on on 400 yards, but, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit. Obviously, it only happened a couple to, uh, three other times before that. Um, and with the win Saturday night, Georgia broke its consecutive uh, sellout streak with uh, 65 straight games sold out. And they also won a, a program record 18 games in a row. So very impressive. Yeah, and I will say a lot of times they say sellout and it's the tickets have sold out, but not everybody's there. Mm-hmm. I didn't really see any open seats during the game. So it was a legit sellout. Especially um, for a night game, too. Like that that's something that I really, really wanted to get to, but obviously didn't make uh, work out. I do want to get to a few more of my thoughts because, you know, if you're in the fantasy football group chat, you heard just how upset I was Um, because I was pissed sitting there in the stands. But over the last two days, I had a lot of time to think about what I was upset with, right? Mm -hmm. And I put it into the perspective of, in 2016, Georgia barely beat Nichols State. Mm -hmm. Last week, I got up on my soapbox and said, be happy and enjoy the time we're in because it is not guaranteed that this is going to be the way that the program plays forever. And at the end of the day, it was a 48-7 to victory where the third-string defense had a pick six to pretty much end the game. Mm-hmm. There, You can't be pissed off at a 48-7 to win. And, I, you know, I'm friends with an Ohio State fan who said, oh, man, Georgia struggled on Saturday. And I said, well, if you call 48-7 to struggling, then Ohio State lost, you know. They only won by 20, but yeah. Exactly. And that's that's kind of where we're at. It's just I want everyone because, you know, last year I got on here burning cities because of the way Georgia played against Samford and Kent State and the Missouri game really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. But Georgia won by 48 points. Yeah. Well, and 41. Yeah. For, yeah, 41. 41. And at the end of the day, Kirby – and Mike Bobo and Will Muschamp have been around this game long enough to self-reflect after that, probably sitting back with a drink or two Saturday late at night and saying, all right, obviously we have a good team. 
they didn't perform at the level they're capable of performing. What do we need to do better? And I expect it to get better. Like there, it's not one of those things where, you know, next week's ball state, you know, Oh, or, you know, in two weeks of South Carolina, like I think after that performance and with how, how um, uncomfortable the offense looked throughout that the coaches are going to do some self-reflection and say, we need to do better, whether it's with play calling, whether it's with practice, whether it's with, you know, putting Carson against the one defense this week so he can see what it really looks like when the defense is flying around versus, you know, a scout team defense that doesn't know exactly what they're doing. I, you know, I I trust in the coaching staff enough to think that they're going to go back and say, what can we do to make sure that this doesn't happen again with that first half? Yeah, they definitely earn the uh, benefit of the doubt with that. And that's kind of why I wanted to wait until the end, because, yes, I was pissed, just like everybody else. Mm. And I understand the first half sucked. Like, I was furious. Mm. But 48-7 to victory, third string, second string played well, third string played well. It's just a matter of getting into the rhythm with a new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, and I think that the coaches have earned the benefit of the doubt to come back and have something different to talk about next week and the week after. And honestly, this is probably the best thing for uh, for the team. I mean, you know, winning by forty one is you know great and all, but you know, having some some tape to look back at and say, okay, you know, you guys. Obviously, this isn't a team that won back to back or even, you know, a lot of guys obviously left after last year, you know, drafted or graduated or whatever, you know, giving them some tape to look back out and said, like, OK, you are not. And and they've talked about this a lot. You're not the same team that won last year or, you know, back to back or anything. Like that. This is a separate team. It's 2023. It is what it is. So, I mean, this is ultimately will end up being a, a, a good thing, I think. Um you know, not everyone's packing, patting them on the back and getting super excited about everything, but there's some stuff to look at. And again, it'll end up being good for this team. So again, I'm not, you know, super pissed about how it ended up uh, turning out. Obviously, I want to, you know, always want to strive for it being perfect, but, you know, it'll end up being, you know, benefiting the team in the long run, at least, you know, at least these next uh, uh, few weeks. I agree 100%. Mm. All right. So you want to get into the uh, players of the game? Yes. So defensive player of the game, he did not lead the team in tackles, but I think based off of coming back from the injury, playing his position just as well as the guy he got took over for, Tyke Smith made a ton of plays, six tackles, three solo, and one tackle for a loss. And if he wasn't making the tackle, he was hauling ass over there to to be at the play or if they missed, make the tackle. And with Javon the Bullet Bullard making the move to safety, one of the most important positions on the field in that star defensive role has been filled by a former All-American coming off of injury and making a statement. And one of the things that I saw while re-watching the game today is that after the starters came out, Every single time a defensive back came off the field, he was over there talking to him. 
being like, hey, you know, this is what I saw. This is what I would do differently. He was coaching up the young guys on the sideline. That's the kind of leader you want to see for a defensive backfield, especially with a guy that's an all former All-American. But just coming off an of injury, hasn't really played much in his time in Athens, but able to come in and make a difference. And he has the respect of the rest of the team to be like, hey, you know, maybe look at this. And I think that says huge things about the kind of player that he is. Oh, for sure. I mean, he he was definitely up there for me as well. Him and uh, Malachi Starks definitely uh, showed out uh, on the uh, defensive side of the ball, for sure. Um, so going to the off- offensive side of the ball, player of the game, uh, I mean, you can go with Brock Bowers there. He was a very very much limited uh, for the most part just because, again, it, it is UT Martin. You don't want to overuse him and get him hurt or anything like that, especially in a game that, you know, pretty much from the uh, kickoff that you think that you knew you were going to win. But uh, Side note I, about Brock Bowers. What's that? When I was re-watching the game today, after um, after that screen pass that went for a touchdown, that really long one, mm-hmm. I thought I saw Brock limping off the field. It was a slight mm-hmm. limp, but I thought I saw it. I'm very interested to see how that plays out the rest of the week, but mm-hmm. it just popped up. I wanted to say something while I was thinking about it. You know what? I mean, good thing they don't play South Carolina next week because, I mean, even if it it's feared that he may have hurt something or, you know, not 100%, you can definitely beat Ball State without Brock Bowers. As, as you know, painful as that is to say, you know, for his Heisman campaign and all that, as, as far of a stretch as that would be, you do, you want to see him out there. But, no, at the you know, end of the day, that's not your goal is for him to dominate Ball State. It's to win, you know, a three-peat. So, I agree. Yeah. All right, so uh, offensive side of the ball. So sophomore Makai Muse fucking showed out. So he, uh, we talked about him a little bit earlier, uh, but he, outside of Brock Bowers, he's the most pr- uh, productive guy on offense. Three uh, three catches for 75 yards, including a 54-yard touchdown on a screen that he, you know, similar to what Brock has like played in the past, especially with that uh, the one play that he had against Georgia Tech his freshman year. Um you know, kind of, you know, split the middle there and went, yeah. you know, you know, middle field, like 54 yards, touchdown, did most of the work there. So that helped uh, Beck's uh, bottom line there. But uh, he also bro- almost broke a, and this is special teams, but he also uh, also broke a uh, kickoff in the second half. I think, like, you know, early on, or may have been even been the uh, opening kick of the second half. But he, I mean, he almost broke that. And ESPN, I was looking at this earlier, just kind of get everything, you know, verified. They have him listed at five eight. There is no way that this man is five foot eight. He is no. definitely smaller than that. No, I mean because they have Lad, I think at like five eleven, five ten, or whatever, and he's got at least five or six inches on him when they, you know, congratulated each other on the sidelines and all that. So, and um, I will say, uh, Lad walked within a foot of me on the dog walk. Mm-hmm. I'm five eleven and have three or four inches on Lad. Oh wow! Okay. So, no disrespect to either of these guys because they're phenomenal players, mm-hmm. but I would not necessarily call their listed height accurate. No, and and that, I mean even more of a testament to him for uh, for being as as dominant as he has. I mean, he was you know practice squad last year, scout team last year, and played really really well in uh, the uh, the snaps that he was given. On special teams, on offense, and all that, especially given the uh, the amount of people that were out this game. So, 
Makai killed it this game. Hopefully we're able to see him a little bit more uh, this year. I agree 100%. I'm really excited about what he can do. So for our last weekly award, we have the... Marshall Walker went 16 yards. He drove right over Orange Church, just driving and running with those big guys. My God, a pressure. Award of the week. It goes to Roderick Robinson. And a lot of freshmen had a lot of good plays. Uh, I mean, Jordan Hall, Christian Miller. I, I, you know, I feel like you could really call Makai Muse a freshman because this is his first time seeing game time. Mm-hmm. But Roderick Robinson... He only had eight carries. He got 50 yards. That is 6.3 yards per attempt, which, considering how it felt like the run game never really got going, was phenomenal. Mm. He had one rushing touchdown, long run of 23 yards. And for him to be a true freshman, I thought he held up in pass protection well when he was called on. He... There's there's not really anything negative you can say about the way that he played on Saturday. To be a fr- tr- true freshman called on because of injury, I think he did a good bit to earn himself a spot in the rotation moving forward. For sure. I mean, I mean, getting those snaps and being being as productive as he was, like that's just going to make this offense even better. So, I'm here for it. And I know normally do Georgia last, but we did do them first because we feel like a lot of people were upset and wanted to uh, to get more opinions on those. So we do have a few more games to run through here, and I think we're going to attempt to do it a little quickly because we know we're already over an hour. Um, starting on the Thursday night game, first and foremost, if you were not in at least part of the watch party, shame on you. You are absolutely wrong, and you hate us, so we hate you. Yeah. But I normally hate when people say this, but the score was not indicative of how much better Utah was than Florida. Mm-hmm. Because this game was awful for the Gators. At one or uh, for pretty much the entire second half of the game, we had uh Bobby Burchens join us. If you remember from last year, he's a Florida booster that came on for that. Florida preview episode um, and just he hated the play calling on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. Billy Napier didn't, didn't really have some good offensive plays and uh, truffle shuffle on defense just had no clue what he was doing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look at the guy from the Goonies that does the truffle shuffle, look at Florida's offense or defensive coordinator Tell me I'm wrong. My DMs are open. I just, yeah. Um, but I do think if Utah had Cam Rising healthy in this game, we're talking Utah scoring in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a rough look for the Gators this year. I mean, they were, I mean, Utah was playing with a, uh, a walk on, which, I mean, as we know, could be a good thing, but typically it's not. And, you know, their third straight quarterback uh, being a freshman, even though he played a little bit last year. Um, it, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Yes. Like you mentioned. So, yes. Um, if 
I mean, I, the Florida, I think the over-under on the season total was five and a half. I mean, at this point, I mean, for them to be as dominated as they were against uh, Utah, can't make you feel good if you took the over on that five and a half. And uh, it's going to be a long year. I mean, I think I think Billy, you know, some about Billy will make it through the year. But oh, he'll definitely make it through the year because they would owe him $35 million if he got fired before the end of the season. And if he got fired before the end of next season – he would still have the record for the largest buyout ever paid to a head coach. <laughs> Which is impressive. Well, yeah. Yeah. 26. I mean, damn. I mean, Jimbo looked good. Or, well, Jimbo didn't look good, but, uh, you know, team looked good, you know, uh, last, you know, Saturday or whatever. But, well, I mean, we'll talk about that more so next week because they're not really on our, uh, our sheet here because nobody really watched that game. But, Yes, I will yeah. say so. Florida has one, two, two more, two guaranteed wins on the schedule. And if they play like they did the other day, I think Vanderbilt's going to be a problem just because of how poorly Florida's defense played. I think Missouri's going to be a problem. And then Arkansas comes to Gainesville in November. And uh, yeah, if they played like they did um, this week against Arkansas, they're going to get the shit kicked out of them. I, I, unless they get significantly better on, on the defensive side of the ball, I don't even really think, you know, for all the shit we talk about Graham Mertz, I don't think he actually played that poorly. No, Um, no. I just think the rest of the team around him kind of sucks. So. It was a lot of coaching errors on that too. I mean, the, uh, having the same, you know, two guys of the same member out in the field early on in that game killed them. Yeah. No, I, Florida. Take the season win total under. I think I already had them at five and seven, but I think it might be that or worse. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I would hate to say, hate to see it, but I mean, it's sad, but not and really. I, yeah, it's what it, it is. What it is. Yeah, it's it is what it is. Uh, and I think it's going to be just as bad, if not worse, next year because of the difficulty of their schedule and. Uh, so they're talking 2025, the earliest that they will be competitive again. And that's just. Oh, my brutal. God. that That's crazy. I mean, I, not that they would be a ton better with uh, Jalen Rashada, but. That's uh, no. tough. I mean, they have 150 coaches on this coaching staff. So you'd think that somebody would have caught something, but we digress. So we're going to move on to Georgia Tech. I know we said that we were going to talk about them later, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on the joke by Coke. But this year's team looks a lot better than the team looked early in the season last year. And I know that is wild. That as much as we love Georgia, we don't hate Georgia Tech. But honestly, they're trash for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um And the biggest thing I think turned them around from how they looked early last year to how they look this year is I think they believe in the coach. Yeah. Um, The quarterback situation still isn't great, but Haynes King is actually capable of throwing a forward pass. Um, And the defense is playing their ass off. Sometimes they miss tackles. Sometimes they bust some coverage, but they're fucking trying, which is a lot Mm -hmm. better than you could say about the teams of the last few years. Um, former George Bulldog Brett Seether caught his first touchdown pass of his career. So shout out to Brett. Mm-hmm. You know, normally you would not want to see one of your players go to a rival, but George once he said 
Georgia Tech's not much of a rival anymore. Um, and I really think that this Georgia Tech team is going to be capable of winning some games that they shouldn't this year mm. just based on the way they play. I think the defense is going to get some turnovers. I think Haynes King is going to figure it out. Their receivers are okay enough. Mm. Um, Georgia Tech has potential to go to a bowl game this year. And I mean, honestly, I mean, even last year after they fired G off, I mean, they went what four and four, yeah. Which beat I mean, UNC, better. yeah. I mean, they South were, Carolina couldn't do, right? I mean, they did, yeah. They did. They they improved. I mean, they you know played with uh, passion and all that in the uh, the second half of that season. So they they, they should be better. They're, I don't think they're going to be like at, definitely not at the bottom of the ACC by any means, but. Um, you know, playing for a coach they believe in, uh, you know, an alumni of that, which as you know, we can attest to it, you know, it does mean something when you're playing for somebody that actually cares about the university and the school that they work for. So it should so, be yeah. Looking at their schedule, they have pretty much four guaranteed wins. Oh, okay. If they can beat a if they can beat Wake Forest or Miami, or Syracuse, or a combination of the two of those three, they're going bowling this year. Ooh, okay. It's so, possible for sure. For it sure. is. Especially Wake Forest not having Sam Hartman and all that. It In Miami, I mean, we'll see how they look against Miami uh, this Saturday. But it uh, as, as much as I, I dislike Tech, I want them to be competitive so this game at the end of the season actually means something. Right. So I'm not I'm not sitting there like flipping off of the Georgia game to watch something entertaining. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, think about all the teams you're competing against at that point. You're competing against, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, and you know, in you know, amongst the Iron Bowl. The Iron you, Bowl. You yeah. know, South Carolina Clemson was competitive, a, a very good game last year. I mean, like very good. So mm-hmm. I just we, we don't Tech, want, give me I, a reason to watch the game. Yeah, I I had brought this up. I don't know if I did it on here. You know, if I you know last year at all when I had you know popped on every now and then. But I would love to see this Georgia Georgia Tech you know clean old fashioned hate be played on like on Black Friday or something like that. So it actually has eyes on it. If if we're gonna take this game seriously, I I don't disagree with you. Because I want to, I want to care about it. But at the same time, if you're playing at noon, that is Michigan, Ohio State every year. They always play at noon. Whether I mean, whether or not they're, it's a shitty game, or it's one versus two, or you know, a top five game, they're playing at noon every year. Like Fox has that game. It's going to be at noon. You know, it. You know, neutral observers and all that are not going to be watching Georgia, Georgia Tech if Michigan, Ohio State are playing. No. And even me, for that matter, as an, a fucking Georgia alumni, I'm not going to or alumnus. I'm not going to you know, pay attention to it as much as Michigan, Ohio State. And I want to, please. Yeah, for sure. All right. So because one of the next teams that we're talking about was one of your bandwagon picks, I will let you take this one. Come on, Colorado. Or not bandwagon, TCU? one of your puncher's oh. chance picks. My bad, my bad. Oh, yeah. No, it's all good. So Colorado TCU, what a fucking game. That may have been the game of the fucking weekend. Um, I honestly. think it was. I yeah, think it was. it was. It was. I mean, obviously, uh, Colorado is not in the Big 12 yet. They'll be in there next year. But that was a classic built Big 12 game, if I have ever seen one. So, um, if any of you guys watched the uh, the uh, Coach Prime series on Prime, which I, you know, 
obviously works out really well with you know coach prime prime tv all that um or prime video it it was interesting to see how travis hunter you know got hyped up for games early on even you know last season and all that but Travis Hunter did his best Charles Woodson or Champ Bailey impression last uh, this uh, this past game on Saturday against TCU. He played a, around 120 snaps. I saw someone I estimate 145 snaps, which good insanity. God, yeah, I could not. I mean, at a high level in you know Power Five game playing 145 snaps against the insane. against the team that was the national runner up last mm-hmm. season. And and he, it's not like he was like, you know, didn't put anything on a stat sheet. I mean, he filled that shit up. I mean, he had yeah. a uh, insane, he had an interception. Uh, he, uh, you know, jumped the route and intercepted the ball um, in the game. And he also had five catches for 135 yards as well. I mean, it was so much fun to watch this game, If especially if you're not a fan of, you know, great defense by any means. This TCU did not plan on playing defense at all, just like they did in the national championship. But um, as fun as it was to watch, Travis, I mean, Travis Hunter cannot play 145 snaps a game going forward. There's and expect to stay healthy. Zero percent. No. no and one one thing, you know, I because I was at the game on Saturday, the Georgia game, I didn't get to watch this one live, but mm-hmm. I will say I was in the middle of the um I'm in the middle of the third quarter on the rewatch. And one thing that I will absolutely applaud applaud Travis Hunter on is his ability to understand himself and know to uh, understand himself enough to know when he's playing offense and he's gassed, he's coming out. Yeah. Period. Mm -hmm. If you're the next wide receiver up, you better be ready because if he's tired, he's coming on the sideline. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great thing that the Oklahoma or the uh, Colorado coaching staff is doing to almost solely have him on their side of the field as far as receiver positions go, so Mm -hmm. that he has the ability to do that. I think if you're going to use somebody both ways, that they are doing it just about as well as you can. Yeah. It was – I mean, it was incredible to watch. Um, Even, like, kind of going back and watching it again, it just it's unbelievable that somebody can play that many snaps at as high of a level as he did, uh, for sure. But even – Besides that, Jimmy Hoard Jr. and Xavier Weaver, which we talked about in the offseason with our Punchers Chance teams, both had had over 100 yards receiving each. And uh, Shadur Sanders had a program record 510 passing yards with four touchdowns, including a 46-yard pass, which, again, mostly is attributed to Dylan Edwards, but it still counts on Shadur's uh, stat sheet there. But uh, he completed that to Dylan, uh, Dylan Edwards on a fourth and two a huge 46-yard pass to beat the uh, 17th-ranked Horny Lizards, Horny Toads, 45-42. Um, and again, Colorado is really is already in that pack, uh, not Pac-12, that uh, Big 12 defensive mindset with like not really playing uh, defense whatsoever. And I am fucking here for it. That shit was fun as hell. Um, oh yeah, no, yeah. I this is one that's already going on to the. Um onto the list of games to watch again in the off season when all I yeah. want to see is offense. Mm-hmm. I, except for the Fox shitty, shitty, uh, mm-hmm. score, the, the score, score, the score thing. bug leaves a lot to be desired. And I think I, I everything, one thing I know, everything to be desired. Yeah. If there's one thing I know about the internet, um, we can go back to like the Sonic movie and everybody bullying, uh, whatever, you know, movie, you know, 
company put that out is that you can bully anybody into fixing something. So yep. hopefully Fox will be bullied into fixing it and not make it look like like an NCAA 08 like video game. And I think, you know, especially like on the Wii or like where it's more cartoonish and shit. Um, it it was a little bit tough to watch, but I mean, that game made it a little bit more tolerable to to put up with. But if it's like a bad Big Ten, Big 12 game, it, it would be hard to, to get past the uh, cartoonish uh, score bug there. Yeah, it's 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 awful. Like there, there's just no real other way to describe it. It is awful. And I mean, even like going into like NFL games, like the cartoonish like caricatures of like players and stuff like that after they score is kind of corny in my eyes. But whatever. I mean, but I mean, I would really like you see the scoreboard way more often than the like, actual like you know drawing of like somebody that just scored a touchdown so they they need to they need to get on that quick because i think like i said hopefully everybody bullies them enough to to change that going to going to like next week and you know later on in the season because like i do not want to see michigan ohio state with that shit <laughs> after thanksgiving oh, i bet you will they'll fix I it probably. this off season they're not yeah. gonna fix it during the season but uh, one other thing I will say though is I can't wait. Okay, so this is this game is next week, but Colorado play at home against Nebraska next week. Next week is going to be fun, um, and yes. they also play USC in, in Oregon in this first half of the season too. So if uh, if you didn't listen to our puncher's stance uh, team uh, stuff, definitely look at um, <laughs> definitely get ready for for that because it's going to be fun with uh, them playing uh, USC in Oregon in the next couple weeks. No, I'm I am also super excited for that. And one of the games that we were really excited for this uh past weekend, Florida State LSU. And the first bullet here is just LOL. Um and that's just because I think everyone in the country thought that Jaden Daniels would be better this year and continue that upward trend from late last season. But we were all wrong. He looked a lot like uh, second half of the Tennessee game, Jaden Daniels, and not end of last season, Jaden Daniels. Um, the LSU defensive backfield was awful. And uh, last week we had Will Auburn on, and he did not get his wish of minor burns making an, ex- an appearance. It was all major burns. I mean, it's all- third degree burns, like fucking five alarm house fire. And yeah. it, it was melting steel beam burns. It was <laughs> jet fuel on steel beams. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and the defensive front was fairly disruptive. I mean, uh, Florida State didn't really have a lot going in the ground game as far as you know, big plays go, but Harold Perkins was silent in comparison to his normal day. Finished the day, I want to say, with five total tackles, um, zero sacks, zero quarterback pressures. For for that, it is it it is wild, and especially considering that they said that they were not going to have him play a standard linebacker role. They were going to have him in that heat seeking missile role. Um, but Jordan Travis on the Florida State side of the ball was his play was what we expected Jaden Daniels to play like. It, he was fantastic. He should have improved his Heisman odds with that performance the other day. 
the biggest concerns for LSU was being able to stop the run without Mason Smith. And as a team, Florida State had 135 rushing yards, but no single player had more than 47 yards. And the second leading rusher was Jordan Travis with 35. Um, I mean, they still got enough on the ground to make a difference. Jordan Travis with those scrambled plays did phenomenally, but it wasn't great, but it also wasn't bad. Um, and the second biggest concern for LSU was being able to stop the passing attack with Florida State's giant receivers. And that one did not go well whatsoever. Florida State had two guys with more than 100 yards, Keon Coleman, who I stupidly had on the bench for this week in our uh, college fantasy football league. And then Johnny Wilson also had a really big day. To be fair with Keon Coleman, like I, playing at Michigan State last year, I didn't see much of him. I didn't think much of him, but he killed it in that game yesterday. So, honestly, when I drafted him in like the second to last round, it was one of those things where his average draft position was like top 100 and nobody else had taken him. Mm-hmm. So I was like, whatever, I'll take a flyer. And he got me 30 something points on the bench yesterday. Mm-hmm. So he will probably be started moving forward. Um, yeah. Just safe to say. Special teams for LSU also had a really tough day. Uh, Muff punt recovered by Florida State that they turned into a touchdown in a couple of plays. Um, And personally, I think LSU is going to continue to struggle with red zone scoring when their offensive line isn't able to get any movement up front with a run game. And it's just – if. If the team as a whole plays like they did today, I feel like we should all be a lot lower on LSU. And by today, I mean yesterday. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, did you did you catch what uh, I don't I don't know if you mentioned this when I had to step out for a minute, but what uh, Brian Kelly said uh, in his post game presser about you know we thought or they thought their team thought that they were the uh, two time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs like he. Now, he did go on to say that he, you know, he kind of threw everybody under the bus, including himself. So it's not as bad as, you know, as some people would let it on to be. But that's a tough look to lose to the uh, same team back-to-back years to open the season. It's a very tough look. If I will say anything, it's that I do believe that Brian Kelly, as a coach, is a pretty good coach. Yeah. You know, he's obviously one of the winningest coaches, if not the winningest coach in college football right now. And I know a lot of people are going to dispute that, but he's coached longer than Nick Saban. So that kind of is what it is. I mean, he's a, I mean, arguably, I mean, he's what, a top 10 coach and like active right now for sure. I think, right? it, I think before this weekend, a lot of people would say he's top five. That's fair. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where I really think the team was playing so much better at the end of last season that we all bought into what they could do this year, assuming linear progression. You know, you're thinking like, oh, they got better every week last year. They're just going to keep continuing on to that trend. But I really think they dropped a little bit in the offseason 
with some players leaving, that sort of thing. But when they looked good, they looked great yesterday. So Mm -hmm. if they can, you know, look – if they can look like they did in the first half against Alabama, which, don't get me wrong, wasn't great. It wasn't, you know, necessarily national title contending. But if they can do that more often than not this year, I still think they have a chance to win the West. But if they play like they did yesterday, we're talking third behind Ole Miss and Bama. I mean, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't <laughs> by any it. means, considering how much how much uh, I've uh, I've pumped up Ole Miss this off season. But man, it, there's some things that happen in uh, in week one that I feel like way better about, like my uh, my preseason picks and others that I feel awful about, for sure. And we'll <laughs> kind of get into that with our our bandwagon stuff here. Yeah, go right into it. All right. So as y'all may remember, uh, my uh, my bandwagon team was Texas Tech. And to my credit, I'll pump myself up a little bit. I did not say that they were going to cover this game, but I also didn't think that they were going to lose it <laughs> outright. So, um, again, if you if you didn't catch it, Texas Tech played at Wyoming in, uh, in Laramie, which super like difficult place to play it's you know the altitude on for for those that talk about you know uh florida playing in wyoming going from you know sea level to or not wyoming from for florida playing in utah from going to sea level to you know mountains and stuff like that laramie is like two thousand feet above where uh salt lake city is so yeah. uh, texas tech had their work cut out for them but uh the red raiders lost a uh thrilling double overtime game in laramie to uh to uh, Wyoming, 35-33, after not converting a, a two-point conversion in uh, in double overtime. But uh, next week, the uh, Red Raiders face Oregon at home um, after the Ducks put up a fucking insane 81 points in honor of uh, Kobe Bryant. Everything I said Saturday. about Kenny Dillingham being one of the reasons Bo Nix was better last year, mm-hmm. I retract all of those statements. Yeah. Well, okay, to be fair, okay, it was against Portland State. It's an FCS team. Yeah, but 81 points against whoever. Ridiculous. Yeah, I – granted, okay, Oklahoma shut out Butch Jones in Arkansas State. You know, Uh, let's let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Because I don't like Butch Jones. I think he's cringy. But at the same time, for him to coach Arkansas State now and for the players to believe in him more than a Tennessee team ever did to the point where he was crying on the sideline and a player came up and gave him a hug, I love that. Uh, I love that a love, team believes in him. They they love their coach, and I appreciate that so much because he's on the verge of tears over there and someone's like, you know what, coach, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. It's tough to see for him. I, fe- I, I legitimately do feel bad for him. To get too. to that point. I do too. You yeah. know, I I never thought I would say that I feel bad for Butch Jones. But mm-hmm. after what happened this weekend, not only do I feel bad for him, but I don't know the n- name of the player that came up and did that. But mm-hmm. I love that guy. Period. He's a good he's a good human. That that kid was raised right and yes. believes in his coach. Mm-hmm. Even if no one else does. Uh, well, the team does. 
Yeah. If no one on the outside does. <laughs> that ultimately that's all that matters. It's not like Arkansas State is getting a bunch of money out from the outside and like killing down the uh, NIL, NIL game. So yeah, that's all that matters. So my bandwagon team, I will say that I was damn close to being right on the score of this game. I said Washington would cover, and they did. They put up 56 points on Boise State after trailing for the entire first quarter and then putting up 28 in the second quarter, never looking back. Michael Penix threw five touchdowns, 450 yards. We need more Penix. And uh, We need Penix to fucking ram it down our throats. Exactly. Um, and if Boise State hadn't missed a PAT, my score prediction was damn near perfect. Yeah. And I'm a little I'm a little salty about it. As you should be. You know, I was a total of eight points from being dead on about this game. That's impressive considering it's you know a power five versus a group of five team and as good as Boise State is a lot of people pick them to win the uh, Mountain West they got wrecked well Washington's gonna win the Pac-12 potentially make the playoff this year so it kind of makes sense yeah oh for sure um so real quick before we before we end anything just as a a gambling note for us just to hold us ourselves accountable because I try to keep uh, track of it this week so uh, John went five and one overall with uh, picking Utah uh, in the points. Uh, took a loss again uh, for uh, picking USC or US, South, uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. Nobody else, yeah, because nobody else calls them USC outside of the uh, Carolinas and the Low Country and all that. Um, you did pick uh, Florida State to cover and took the over on the fifty-five. So good for you. And also the uh, Boise and Washington game you took the uh, the over on that. So. Bunch of wins overall, five and one for you. Week one, great. So you would have won money if you went with John all the way and uh, played him. Uh, for me, you did I won money. You won money. I, I wish I would have put money some. Even if I would have just followed you or went with me, I would have won something. But I didn't end up putting anything on there. But bet US, I'm gonna do that next week. Um, bet. but yeah, <laughs> bet. <laughs> um, so. I won uh, Utah. I took the points there. USC, Southern uh, South Carolina again. T- took the L there. Um, I did take the L with uh, LSU and the points, but I did take the over on that. So you know, split there. And then uh, ten, uh, Texas Tech and Wyoming again. I did say that Texas Tech would not cover, so I did cover there, and I took the over on that. So I went four and two. So both of us did all right. Showing obviously, you did a little bit better than I did. But next week. Like just oh, kind of looking at the game slate, yes. way better, yes. way better week. It's so rare just, that week two is better than week one, but I think we're both excited for that. Yeah, just just a quick preview of that. So obviously you got Texas at Alabama. That will be interesting. We'll kind of, you know, talk about that on, uh, you know, Wednesday night, Thursday morning when you guys hear this. Uh, Ole Miss at Tulane be interesting. Uh, uh, Texas A&M at Miami, which, you know, seem you know big name and matchup, but after week one seems like a way bigger game than it otherwise would have been, you know, 10 days ago, Nebraska at Colorado, again, another bigger game that we may have, you know, overlooked before given what happened in week one, Tulsa, Tulsa and Washington as your bandwagon team with a UW there, Oregon and Texas tech. 
could be fun, should be fun. And then, uh, of course, finish with uh, Ball State at Georgia. I think it's like a 42-point uh, spread at this point. We'll see, yes. you know, as we get closer. Yeah, when I looked at it earlier, it was uh, 42.5. and a half. Okay. And I will go ahead and say I'm about to check it again just for – but it was 42 points. Don't – first off, don't put money on it. I no. never recommend putting money on lines that big. Mm. Um, it's 42 points exactly right now. Okay. Okay. Do not, under any circumstance, put money on that game. No. Especially, also, okay, again, Georgia's given, not going to cover 42 points. And, and especially given how Kirby um, typically, at least the last couple of years, plays against FCS teams or, you know, not non power five teams, he's not necessarily blowing them out as much as like the spread would indicate. Now, if this is Vandy, sure, take or, it. Or Florida? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. SEC team, absolutely. A yes. shitty one. Kirby would destroy yeah. your soul mm-hmm. if it was an SEC team. Yeah. But like Ball State, if they're up 40 points at half, he's going to put second string in to start the second half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's not trying to disrespect the opponent. Even. Again, we talked about the Sanford game before. I obviously, he had a connection to the uh, Sanford head coach, but it, yeah, games against non-SEC teams, he's not looking to embarrass uh, the opponent coming out there for it. So or get do players not, hurt any because Sanford keeps their starters and plays hard to the end. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Um. All right, guys. It's been a long one. Thank you for staying with us to this point. But as always, follow Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, Instagram at nothing.finder.pod, Twitter at finderpod, Facebook and YouTube, search us there. Everything's going up on YouTube. So if you'd like to subscribe, do that, please. Um, rate and view the show. We'll send you a sticker. Might still throwing up feet picks as an option. So you can choose between Twitter and or a sticker and a feet pick. Your choice, 100%. Uh, or your choice. But as always, guys, remember there is nothing finer in the land than a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw, lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.